Welcome to the Strange and Interesting Podcast, a podcast about folklore, the paranormal, urban legends, and pretty much anything else that I find strange and interesting. I am your host, Al. It is September, and for many children across America, that means it's time to go back to school. So what better time is there to discuss one of the most famous characters of American folklore, Paul Bunyan. Today, we will be taking a look at this legend, as well as other strange and interesting things to come out of the logging camps of old. Wood has always been an important resource for any civilization. It has been used for building, making tools, and burned for fuel. But how many of us think about where this resource comes from? Yes, we know it comes from trees, but do we ever think about the journey from forest to lumberyard? We have lumberjacks to thank for that. Their occupation has always been a dangerous one. Even with modern equipment and improved safety measures, a single mistake can lead to serious injury or death. But let's go back to the old days of logging, the time from the mid-1800s through the early 1900s. Before power tools and gas-powered engines, most of a lumberjack's work had to be done by hand and with the aid of beasts of burden. The companies that engaged in lumber harvesting realized that they would need to set up in remote areas, far from civilization. Transporting men and materials to the work site would be difficult and time-consuming. So to solve this problem, they set up logging camps for the workers to live in. These camps often contained a bunkhouse, a blacksmith shop, a mess hall, and a camp store where workers could purchase luxuries like candy, tobacco, and extra clothing. These camps were rarely permanent, and at the end of the logging season, the buildings were sometimes dismantled and sometimes left to rot. After the Second World War, logging camps began to be phased out. Improved roads and motor vehicles made it easier to get men to the work site, eliminating the need for lumberjack crews to live in isolation for several months of the year. Life in a logging camp was far from easy. Lumberjacks worked long hours, sometimes up to 12 hours per day. To compensate for these long hours, the men were well fed, and by some estimates, they may have consumed 5,000 or more calories per day. At the end of the day, the men would care for the animals and sharpen their tools. In rare moments of leisure, they would play cards, repair clothing, play music, and tell stories. This last pastime brings us to today's topic. Lumberjacks told a variety of tall tales, and since it was not unusual for these men to travel between different camps, their stories had a chance to spread 
throughout the logging camps of the northern United States and Canada. Lumberjack tales often used exaggeration, sometimes for humorous effect. Some of these stories even made their way into the realm of folklore and popular culture. Perhaps the most famous stories to come out of these logging camps are about a giant named Paul Bunyan. But before we take a look at this legendary lumberjack, there are two terms we need to define. Folklore and fake lore, as Paul Bunyan actually fits into both of these categories. Folklore is defined as the cultural works shared by a group of people. Folklore can include stories, music, dance, clothing, jokes, proverbs, cultural traditions, holidays, and artwork done in a specific style. Many of these things have been passed down by this group for hundreds of years through oral tradition. A story, song, or dance does not even need to be old to be counted as a work of folklore. To quote folklorist Alan Dundee's, as new groups emerge, new folklore is created. A good example is the fictional character known as the Slender Man. There have been scholars who have argued that even though we know who created Slender Man and when he first appeared, this character can be considered a piece of modern folklore. Shira Chess, author of Folklore, Horror Stories, and the Slender Man, The Development of an Internet Mythology, noted that three aspects of the Slender Man mythos share certain similarities with folklore. First is collectivity. Folklore is often developed by a group rather than by an individual. Even though we know the name of the person who created Slender Man, the character was originally limited to digitally edited images with a caption. Slender Man's lore has been further extended through YouTube videos, video games, and original stories. Second is variability. This aspect points to the fact that folklore can exist in several different forms, and the narrative often changes based on the one telling the story. This is true with Slender Man, as different content creators have sought to put their own spin on the Slender Man mythos. And when I get back on topic, we'll see that the same holds true for Paul Bunyan. Finally, there is performance. This is the tendency for a storyteller to modify the narrative based on the audience's response. In contrast to folklore is fake lore. On the surface, both can appear to be indistinguishable from each other. Both present themselves as stories that have been circulated among a group of people for a long time. The difference is folklore is organic, while fake lore is manufactured. A fake lore tale 
is passed around as if it is old and authentic, but in reality, its origin is more recent than it claims it is. This will bring us back to the subject of Paul Bunyan. When you think of Paul Bunyan, you probably think of an impossibly tall lumberjack accompanied by an equally massive blue ox named Babe. You might also recall hearing stories about how he created the Grand Canyon by dragging his axe behind him, or how he created Mount Hood in Oregon by piling stones on his campfire, or how the 10,000 lakes in Minnesota were created by Paul and Babe's footprints. I grew up hearing some of these stories as well, and while writing the script for this episode, I was surprised to learn that these exploits are fake lore, not folklore as I once believed. While there are some elements to the myth of this character that may very well be authentic, many were manufactured. However, this does not make these stories any less interesting. Some scholars have suggested that Paul Bunyan may have been inspired by a real person. In this case, a French-Canadian lumberjack named Fabien Fournier. He was born in the 1840s, sometimes went by the nickname Saginaw Joe, and worked for the H.M. Loud Company in Michigan. According to accounts of his life, Fournier was six feet tall and very strong. While he certainly was taller than average, though, he was by no means a giant. He was also said to have a fondness for drinking and fighting. This proved to be his undoing as he was killed in 1875. The earliest known written reference to Paul Bunyan comes from a 1904 editorial in the Duluth News Tribune. The account goes, His pet joke, and the one with which the greenhorn at the camp is sure to be tried, consists of a series of imaginative tales about the year Paul Bunyan lumbered in North Dakota. The Great Paul is represented as getting countless millions of timber in the year of the blue snow. The men's shanty in his camp covered a half section, and the mess camp was a stupendous affair. The range on which an army of cookies prepared the beans and red horse was so long that when the cook wanted to grease it up for the purpose of baking wheat cakes in the morning, they strapped two large hams to his feet and started him running up and down a half mile of black glistening stovetop. As a note, in this case, red horse is not real horse meat, but rather a local name for corned beef. This story of the huge stovetop is one of the few accounts in the various Paul Bunyan stories that remain consistent across all sources. Depending on the storyteller, some versions of the legend do not include his ox companion. In fact, one source claims that he had a pink ox named Old Brinny instead of a blue ox named Babe. Other sources do not credit him with creating 
well-known land formations. Another part of the legend of Paul Bunyan that does not appear in all sources is a story of him turning a lake into a large bowl of soup in order to feed his men. Early accounts of Paul Bunyan do not describe him as a towering giant, but rather a man seven feet in height. This still makes him taller than the average person, of course, but not quite as large as he is depicted in popular culture. He may not have been a giant who created land formations, but he was said to be a lumberjack of exceptional skill who found ingenious ways to deal with problems. Some early accounts of Paul Bunyan legends do mention a blue ox, though at this time it didn't have a name and was just an exceptionally large, though not giant, animal. In 1916, a University of Wisconsin student named K. Bernice Stewart and Professor Homer A. Watt published an article in Transactions of the Wisconsin Academy of Sciences, Arts, and Letters called Legends of Paul Bunyan, Lumberjack. They spoke with several lumberjacks, and some of the older ones claimed to have known Bunyan and even worked with him. Stewart and Watt were not able to conclude if Paul Bunyan was in fact based on a real person, but believed that some of the tales of his exploits may have been based on earlier stories. Over time, the original protagonist was replaced by the legendary Lumberjack, and his deeds may have been exaggerated. Just a little bit. Many of the attributes that popular culture associates with Paul Bunyan were influenced by a man named William Lawhead. He worked in the advertising department for the Red River Lumber Company. He is credited with coming up with the stories about how Paul Bunyan and Babe created various land formations. Perhaps his most significant contribution to the legend was giving Bunyan his impossible height. While earlier accounts described the lumberjack as exceptionally tall, but still within human limits, Lawhead described him as towering over the forest. Lawhead also came up with the name Babe for the blue ox and gave him a size upgrade as well. True to the spirit of exaggeration found in most lumberjack tales, Babe was said to be so large that it would take a full day for a bird to fly from the tip of one of his horns to the other. This version of Paul Bunyan gained popularity and is the one most people have probably seen depicted in movies, cartoons, and other visual media. Some accounts claim that Paul Bunyan was born in Maine and it took five storks to carry him home. His parents had to milk two dozen cows every morning to keep him fed, and he ate ten barrels of porridge every couple of hours. He grew so large that his parents put him on a boat in the ocean in order to get him to sleep, but the motions he made while sleeping caused huge waves. The Bunyan family eventually moved west 
to Minnesota, where he became a lumberjack. Later stories gave him a wife and a daughter named Tiny. Bunyan was also credited with creating Big Rock Candy Mountain, which is the subject of a popular children's song. The song describes a child's utopia, where you never have to clean your room or put away your toys. Your birthday comes once a week, and there's everything a child could want. As an interesting side note, Big Rock Candy Mountain is actually based on an earlier song that described a hobo's idea of paradise. Hobos are another aspect of American folklore. These were lurkers who tended to travel from various areas to do short-term job assignments. They were often known for boarding trains illegally and thus tended to get into a lot of trouble with law enforcement. Some of the lyrics, though, had to be changed in order to make the song appropriate for children, such as changing cigarette trees to peppermint trees and a lake of whiskey became a lake of soda pop. Big Rock Candy Mountain may have been inspired by an even earlier medieval European legend that described a place of leisure and ease. And this certainly would be an ideal version of paradise for the peasants back then who spent long hours engaged in hard physical labor. One of the more recent additions to the Paul Bunyan myth was created by Arvid Clementson, former mayor of Faustin, Minnesota. In order to increase tourism, he came up with a story about how their city was the adopted hometown of Cordwood Pete, who was Paul's younger brother. Unlike his brother, Peter was short, standing only 4 foot 9 inches tall. It was said that since Paul ate so much, their parents never had enough food to give him which stunted his growth. But despite his small size, he became a skilled lumberjack in his own right and had his own series of accomplishments. Lumberjacks also had a rich tradition of cryptids that became known as fearsome critters. Unlike much of what we know about Paul Bunyan, some of these creatures can be considered genuine works of folklore. Unfortunately, many of these stories may have been lost because they were never written down, but we do have a few earlier accounts of these tales. William T. Cox, who was the first state forester and commission of conservation for the state of Minnesota, recorded some of these stories in his 1910 book, Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberlands, with a few desert and mountain beasts. In the intro to his book, he writes, The lumber regions are contracting. Stretches of forest that once seemed boundless are all but gone. And many a stream is quiet that once ran full of logs and echoed to the song of the river driver. Some say that the old type of logger himself is becoming extinct. It is my purpose in this little book to preserve at least a description and sketch of some of the interesting animals 
which he has originated. Another forester named Henry H. Tryon explained how lumberjacks would create these stories in his 1939 book, Fearsome Critters. Sam would lead with a colorful bit of description, and Walter would follow suit with an arresting spot of personal experience, every detail being set forth with the utmost solemnity and with exactly the correct degree of emphasis. At the end, so deftly had the cards been played that the listener was completely convinced of the animal's existence. This method of presentation is widely used. For the best results, two narrators who can keep the ball in the air are necessary, and perhaps an occasional general question is tossed to someone in the audience, such inquiries being invariably accorded to a grave, corroborative nod. Stories about these beasts were told as a form of entertainment as well as a way to play a joke on new lumberjacks. Many of these fearsome critters had nonsensical names, like the Gumbaroo, the Hoogag, the Squunk, and the Snallygaster. These creatures were often blamed for a variety of strange occurrences, such as unexpected sounds in the woods at night. One creature, known as the Axe Handle Hound, was said to eat the handles of unattended axes. Another creature blamed for unusual occurrences was the Argopelter. This critter resembled an ape with white markings on its face that resembled a skull. It was said to have lived in the tallest of trees. They would throw branches and sticks at humans who got too close to their territory and may have been used to explain debris falling out of seemingly nowhere. Perhaps one of the most well-known of the fearsome critters is the hide-behind. No one is quite sure what they looked like, as they were said to be very fast and could magically hide behind any tree, regardless of how thin or how small it was. These creatures would ambush unwary humans and were blamed for lumberjacks that went missing. The easiest way to protect oneself from a hide-behind was alcohol, as it was said the creature was repelled by this substance. And I don't know about you, but I think that sounds like it just may have been used as a convenient excuse for lumberjacks to get drunk. You can almost imagine a bunch of Lumberjacks sitting around the fire, drinking a lot of booze and telling their boss, No boss, we're not trying to get drunk. We're just protecting ourselves from the hide behind. So with that said, we're going to end today's episode. I'd like to thank you for listening. And until next time, stay strange and stay interesting. You have been listening to a presentation of Point of Insanity Game Studio. Visit us on the web at p
POIGamestudio.com. Follow us on Twitter at POIGamestudio. Look us up on Facebook and email us at POIGamestudio at gmail.com. <laughs>